I want to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? And it's not a question that we can ignore. It was a question, of course, that some of the early disciples struggled with. Remember Peter, when Jesus began to speak to him about the need of Jesus going to the cross, Peter stopped him and said, oh, no, 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 this will never happen, no, 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 no. And Jesus, having a few moments before said that what you're saying, Peter, is coming by revelation of God. You're acknowledging who I am, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But right now, you're not talking from God, not even talking from human opinion. You are talking from the devil. In other words, it is a satanic thought that would keep Jesus from going to the cross. A very, very strong statement of the New Testament gospel. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through to verse 26, and, and there we have some clear statements which explains why Jesus had to die. Now, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. If you look in the context, and always good to do that, Paul has just said that the law will never get you saved. Just trying to do what God tells you to do isn't good enough. Then he says, The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The gospel is found in the Old Testament. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's the key. Jesus is the Savior. You put your faith in Him and God's righteousness comes into your life. And this happens to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single person. Only one person perfect, and that is Christ himself. All the rest of us have fallen short of God's glory. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This tells us that salvation is free. It's not cheap, it's very costly to God, but it's free to us, received by faith and faith alone. Verse 25, that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. I want to explain that word, propitiation. It's a good word to learn, and it's good to have it in our Bibles. Back in the day, it was a very common word. It simply means that the blood of Jesus turns God's wrath away. The blood of Jesus satisfies God's perfect justice concerning our sin. Set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, those two or three lines are quite densely packed argument, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. Here's the situation. Old Testament and New Testament, there's only one way to be saved, that is through faith in Jesus Christ. So what about those Old Testament saints, believers like Abraham and David and the rest of them, they were saved by looking forward to the day of Christ. And us, 
after the first Easter and onwards, we are saved by looking back to Christ and what he did for us now 2,000 years ago. A good illustration is this. If you go and you've got a, a card, you want to pay by card, they will ask you, is this debit or credit? Now, we all know the difference between a credit card and a debit card. All right. If you don't know, then cut up your credit card because you're a danger. All right. So the difference between a credit card and a debit card is this. So you pay by credit on a credit card. The credit card company foots the bill and you have to settle up. You have to pay the bill later. So you get it free in a way to start off with without paying anything, but you certainly have to pay later. And uh, a debit card means that you draw directly from money that's in your account. So I know it's a little bit uh, silly, this illustration, but it's still helpful. The idea might be, it's like Jesus, when he came 2,000 years ago, he deposited in the faith bank of God an infinite supply of resources of grace and love and forgiveness. And so when we come to know Jesus... We look back at the price that has been paid and we draw on that those riches of his grace in order to have our sins forgiven. But before the cross, they were forgiven on credit and the price had not yet been paid. So there was a question mark over the bill. There was a question mark over the bill. And God had behaved in a way, not that he ignored sin, but the verse here says he passed over it. The price had not been paid and there was an outstanding debt, an outstanding bill that now God himself, if he was to remain righteous and demonstrate his righteousness, he had to make sure that Jesus came and paid that price to clear the debt and invest in the future so now those who are saved before Christ are looking forward to the coming of Christ and are saved on credit. And those of us who follow Christ look back to Christ and are saved by the wonderful deposit that he put into our bank account. Now, uh, I know it's a bit silly to talk about commercial Im imagery here, but it will show you that there is a reality that God had to deal with. Before the cross, before Jesus came, he had, as it were, passed over sin. He was forbearing. He had never dealt with sin. But there was coming a time when he had to deal with sin. Now, the kind of idea that Jesus had to die to shed his blood, in that DVD we saw the power of a drop of blood. And I think we should look at that and think about it in fairly literal terms. Not to just think of the blood as some kind of metaphor for, for the sacrificial death. The blood is very important in Scripture. We'll see a little bit about that in a moment. So much so that Jesus entered heaven with his own blood to present it as the atoning sacrifice in heaven so that God's justice would be satisfied and he could be both just, righteous, and the one who declares guilty sinners who believe righteous as well. In other words, when God looks at you and says, oh, I accept you, come, come, come. He doesn't ignore your sin. He's nailed it to the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of people attack this, this picture and attack this teaching for many, many reasons. And um, maybe it's a little bit like Peter. Peter thought, no, no, you're far too important as Messiah. We need you here. No, you're not going to die. So he didn't understand what kind of Messiah Jesus was. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53 makes it very clear 
that the Messiah had to carry the sins of the world. It says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one we've turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's very clear that the Messiah had to die. Jewish people struggle with this. Muslims totally deny it. Liberal theologians struggle with it. And they say, why, why can't God just forgive sin? Why can't he just do that? I mean, after all, we, that's what we do to one another. We don't demand a sacrifice. If we are genuine in our relationship with one another, oh, forget about it. It's okay, don't worry. Uh, we, we don't have to worry about who's going to pay the bill of that thing of sin because we're not the moral governor. We, we just say, I, I release you from this. But you see, God is the moral governor of the universe. He's got to go around and clear all the rubbish. That's why I like that DVD, which showed a picture of all sin accumulating like rubbish, which the blood of Jesus Christ destroys. However, there is an, a, a, a kind of relational illustration that shows us that when you forgive, actually, there is a price you have to pay. So um, let me just, uh, uh, has anybody got any money on you? Has anybody in the front row got a 10 pound note? 10 pound note? I doubt it, you'd have put it in the offering, right? Okay. <laughs> and anybody got any, any, any money here? Don't worry, don't worry. You might get it back, you might not. That's okay. It's all right. Oh, okay. Ah, you've been pipped to the post. You were very slow there, Emmanuel, and very slow for, for obvious reasons. Okay. Now then, uh, who, whose is this? Whose is this? It's yours, is it? Can, you, can we let's just pretend for the sake of illustration it's mine? Okay, let me pretend. Okay, so this is my pound, uh, 10 pound note, okay? All right, so now Emmanuel, who's struggling, he put all the money in the offering and he's saying, Jesus, when's my fruit going to come? And so he says, I, can, can, can I borrow this 10 pounds from, from you, Colin? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's fine. You see, I'm very generous, especially with her money. Okay. <laughs> so, so there it is. Now, okay. Now then, I come and say, oh, oh, Emmanuel, two or three days later, listen, you know, uh, have you got the 10 pounds? And his answer is no, and that's the end of it. And, and so I know that he's going to struggle with it. So, I say to Emmanuel, don't worry about it. It's okay. My forgiveness of him has cost me something. What does it cost me? Ten pounds. So even when we, in this concept of forgiving, we carry the hurt. We take the hit. No, don't take it back. You're spoiling my story. <laughs> Everything's done deliberately. I worked this out till two or three in the morning. All right. Now, in the illustration, actually... I have not paid anything. The debt was already paid by this lady who represents, well, that'll do. Okay, Jesus, represents, represents Jesus. Now, nobody's looking, give it back to her, okay? But don't let anybody see because it'll spoil, it'll spoil the story. You don't, have to give it, give, you don't have to give what you owe back to God. You could never, never repay it. So we see, Justin, lots of different kinds of human illustrations that the idea of simply forgiving as if God could do that, uh, it, it's easy for him. No, it, it, it is not. 
when God forgives, especially because he is God, he is the end of the line when it comes to justice. There is no final court of appeal over him. He has to be the one who regulates everything to make sure that everything that needs to be punished is punished and everything that's wrong needs to be put right. And, and so he, he is a huge moral responsibility. He cannot forgive sin by simply ignoring it. And it is difficult for him, it is costly for him, free to us, but highly costly for him. And the Bible shows us that at the cross, Jesus Christ paid the price for sin, past, present, and future. Examples of this very, very quickly. You might want to look at Romans 4, verses 5 to 8 in the Old Testament. Abraham and David, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So in the Old Testament, God did not impute sin because he knew the time was coming when the sins would be upon Jesus Christ, his son. There's an illustration that we learned from Dr. James Kennedy. R.T. Kendall was on the board of Evangelism Explosion. There's a very powerful illustration in the center of this. It talks exa exactly about what, I, what I'm saying. Let this hand represent my life. And on it is the record book of my sin weighing me down. Now, God, God is up here, and I, I can't reach God because my sins are weighing me down, and even if I manage to get to him, it would only be to receive the just judgment concerning my sin. But the Bible says God came down in the person of Jesus Christ to this earth, and the Bible says, we just quoted it from Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, where's my sin? Where's my sin? It's on Jesus. I'm not carrying it any longer. He carried it, which means I now am free to have a relationship with God. Give Jesus praise. Amen and amen. So, so the real issue is this. God cannot simply ignore sin. There must be a glorious righteous and holy solution to sin. Say that again. There must be a righteous, glorious, and holy solution to sin. Now, when people think God can just ignore sin, it is always because they have an inadequate understanding of Him. They have no concept of the holiness of God, no concept of the seriousness of sin. Let's take some liberal theologians to start off with. They, they would hate evangelical Christianity. They would hate that DVD, blood, blood, you know, what you're so obsessed about, blood. What kind of God is this, a bloodthirsty God? You know, it's more like a butcher's than it is a holy place of worship. And I've heard all that said. They prefer a bloodless faith. And they say any talk about blood in religion is retrograde. It is paganism. And it's not enlightened to put blood at the center of your theology, of your faith. This is a pagan, superstitious idea that the God needs placating and you've got, he demands blood. And I, I understand that objection when you consider paganism 
and the concept of sacrifice in pagan paganism, the idea the gods of paganism are very, very tetchy and they will smash you one minute. They're very arbitrary, very fickle, and, and you've got to you know, live in fear and always placate them. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible himself became. He provided the lamb. He became the sacrifice. Out of love, he provided what he required. And anyway, the heart of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, lies this theme of blood from the very beginning when God saw Adam and Eve sinned what did he do to cover their shame God made the first sacrifice he killed animals took their skins and clothed the nakedness of humanity he's been doing it ever since in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 this is a classical verse showing how Old Testament and New Testament, one message, it's the blood that makes atonement for the sins of humanity. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That's a categorical statement. And all the Old Testament sacrifices point towards, or the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament point towards the sacrifice of Jesus. Liberal theologians are like this. Then there are false religions who out and out deny the atonement. Now, Islam. Now, you, you say, don't keep mentioning Islam. It's not right to criticize Islam. I am responding to Islam. I'm not criticizing Islam. It is Islam that says there is no sun. It is Islam that says there's no atonement. It's Islam that is designed to criticize Christianity. We're saying, no, 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 guys. Jesus came first. He got it right. Your fella didn't. He got it wrong. And why it's so important is because Islam has a view of God that doesn't require atonement. Why? Islam's God can simply let people off the hook because there is no concept of absolute morality or real holiness in Islam. There is none. Oh yes, there are moral codes, but those moral codes are not based on a righteous character of a revealed God. The God of Islam remains 100% unrevealed. We don't know anything about him. Even the 99 names of, 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 of Allah, which are given in the Quran, we know nothing about what they mean. Only Allah knows, and he hasn't told anybody. So the God of, of Islam is a God who is highly removed, even away from such things as right and wrong. We can make no assertion of him, strictly even speaking that he exists. Now that is the teaching of the Quran and the teaching of Islam. All right? This absolute a removal of God. He is certainly not a God who can enter the world and out of love come close to people like you and me. He is certainly not a God who loves us enough to lay down his life in the person of his son. No, 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 no. So there is no concept of the holiness and moral nature of God and this God is untouched by human activity. His mercy is his arbitrary choice just to let people off the hook when he sees fit. There is no settling of the accounts and that's why you can never be saved through Islam. Then there are also, as we mentioned earlier, in false religions, there are pagan methods of atonement, placating spirits, animism, often through self-harm and, and ways like that. So all of these things actually are in stark contrast to the God of the Bible. 
I want to show just two passages. And uh, here we have Exodus 12, verses 12 to 13. Won't comment on it all, but just notice the the role the blood plays. You all know the story. The Passover lamb was sacrificed, yeah, and spread on the doorposts and lintels of the Israeli homes, the the people, children of Israel, and uh, that was the key thing that saved them. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And here's the phrase. And when I see the blood. I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's the blood that protects you from the judgment of God. And you need to apply the blood to your life. If we go back to the book of Romans where we read earlier, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. In the Old Testament, it was an act of faith and obedience to dip some, uh, something in, into the blood of that sacrificed Passover lamb and then spread it over the doorposts of their lives, of their homes. Now, for us in New Testament times, it's the simple act of faith that takes the blood of Jesus and says, I believe that Jesus died for me, like applying it to your very own life. And Jesus, the Bible says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When he sees the blood, when he sees our faith in the blood of Christ, in other words, we trust in what Jesus achieved for us on the cross, not our righteousness, not our obedience, not our spirituality, not our niceness, not our morality. We trust in one thing alone, the blood of Jesus, which alone can cleanse us from all sin. And then, very briefly, Leviticus 16, the Old Testament sacrificial system, he shall take, verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So the passage goes on. And uh, you need to know that there is an alternative reading here in Romans chapter 3. The word propitiation, there's an uh, alternative reading which reads mercy seat. It's a similar kind of concept, it reads mercy seat. So the picture is very clear. Jesus took his own blood as our high priest and entered heaven itself. And there in heaven on the basis of his sacrifice, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And because Jesus died and rose again from the dead and ever lives to make intercession for us, our salvation is forever and it's free. It's free. Amen and amen. So um, I want to just round this off this morning by uh, making three, three statements. Uh, so that we can walk away with this truth ringing in our ears. Now, you know, this is a kind of teaching message today, and um, and I, I want you to grab it, because increasingly you're going to be challenged when you share your faith when it comes to the sacrificial death of Jesus. A lot of people with normal human thinking, who don't know the Bible, not maybe not even influenced by Islam or anything like that, although a lot of people are, 
they, they will say, you know, it's ridiculous. Why do I have to believe in Jesus? If I come to God, ask God to forgive me, God will forgive me. Look at the prodigal son. I can come home anytime I choose. I don't need Jesus to get to God. And you're going to have to explain that there is one meeting place, only the blood of Jesus. That's where Jesus took before the mercy seat of God and sprinkled his blood. And that atonement is made. And you must, by faith, apply that to your own life. Amen and amen. So, one statement. Statement one. God is righteous and must punish sin. Remember I said to you we need a righteous, holy, and glorious solution to the problem of sin. God is righteous and must punish sin. Understand this. God cannot overlook it. A righteous God is so righteous that the right thing has to be done. And justice must not merely be done, but seen to be done. I don't know if you saw the news yesterday. I was catching it here and there. And I think this is what actually happened yesterday, if I'm, if I, if I'm correct. Radovan Karadzic, after 20 years following the events of genocide in Bosnia, finally was convicted of war crimes, convicted of uh, 10 out of the 11 charges, including the killing 8,000 young Bosnian Muslims. Finally... They caught up with him. Now, 20 years ago, the old man, maybe, he said, well, forget about it. Is that right that we would just forget about what he did? No, 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 no. There is a sense. We, we're not relishing any further suffering or whatever, but we kind of feel that man or people who do those things are, are worthy of the condemnation that our international justice system will give them. And there's a sense of rightness about that. And there is something in every human heart that says, we want justice. When anybody treats you unfairly, you want justice. When you look at the suffering in the world, your heart cries out for justice. God, why do you let that happen? And, and when we blame God for the suffering in the world, it is a kind of inverted prayer of faith saying, God, you are able to do this and you should do this because you are righteous. So even those people who will refuse to submit to Christian teaching because of the suffering in the world, they are acknowledging that there is something wrong that should be put right and that there is something to do with God. Well, I've got good news for you, friends. There is a time coming when every injustice will be reversed, all suffering will be removed, and there will be a payday, a payday for all those who have not accepted that God himself is offering you a way out by paying the price for you. Amen and amen. So this is the legal and forensic argument. When we talk about righteousness and punishment, we're using legal language. We know that the law could not justify, only condemns, yet God gives us a gift of righteousness, which we receive because the blood satisfies God's justice on our behalf. Sin is punished. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Second statement. God is holy and he must maintain his integrity. This is the kind of moral argument. 
Forgiveness raises a moral question. Where is justice? And even the Bible teaching that Jesus carried our sins is being attacked as immoral. Some evangelical Christians, prominent evangelical Christians, are moving away from this. They call it cosmic child abuse. That God would punish his son. How, how fair is that? Let's, let's, um, let's, let's do it. Okay, uh, uh, let me tear, tear you two apart. I need two people here. Tear you two apart. Here we have Chris and we have Scott. Okay, we have Chris and Scott. So, suppose, come and stand here, stand here, just in the background, a little bit, just not so far out of reach I can't get you. All right, don't let him run down the stairs. Okay, are you ready? Do you trust me? <laughs> All right, okay. So, this guy... He's so bad, he sins so badly, and I think it's terrible. You deserve to be punished. So because of your sin, I'm going to bash him, bash him, punish him. Now you go, and you're free. Wait a bit, how fair is that? You may sit down now. No more violence. The guy was in the army. <laughs> I, I, I chose to attack the right guy. Okay. <laughs> but uh, So can you see, that's not fair, is it? That you punish somebody else for somebody else's sin. Can you see that? And this is the criticism. However, that's not what happened. All right, come back again. Come back again. Not you because I, you're, you've done enough for one day. Okay, suppose I want to forgive him and he's committed so much sin. And I say, will you just step over there for one moment? I am going to take your sin on myself. There's no third party punishment here. God himself became the lamb. God himself carried it. That's his love. Thank you. That's his love. And so he must do it to maintain his integrity. He cannot overlook sin. If you just overlook sin, you lack integrity. Sin causes harm. And it's against the holy nature of God. There was another legal example today. Now, please excuse me. I'm only using current affairs to, to explain gospel. I certainly don't mean to, to ignore the incredible suffering and the reality behind this case. But you will have read that this week or seen this week a young teenage boy who had um, uh, been released from jail on license uh, for stealing a car and crashing it, stole another car, and in this... Um, in his, his, the police chase, he knocked down and killed PC Dave Phillips. Now, he was cleared of murder, but guilty of manslaughter, and now spending 20 years in prison. Now, that's, that's the facts of the case. But what is of interest is how our legal system invites victims to come and give a victim impact statement. And they make it in court, in front of the court, in front of the judge, if there's a jury, in front of the jury, and in front of the perpetrator or the um, defendant. Is that correct? Is that the right way? Any, any lawyers here help me? Yes, defendant, yes? Okay, thank you. The person accused. And the, I don't think we saw it, but it was reported. Jennifer Phillips, and she, she may even be listening, I don't know, but so... I'm not just using this as a sermon illustration. I'm using it because it really makes this strong point. 
she spoke of her husband and said the offender in court had robbed her of a husband and children, Abigail, seven years of age, Sophie, three, of their father. She added, the one con once confident girls cannot sleep because they're scared of noises and monsters hiding in the dark since their father died. Father, we pray for this family who've left, been left with this situation. May the grace of God touch them. But I, I share this testimony because it shows that you cannot simply ignore sin. You might look at a 19-year-old and thought, that boy's ruined his life double times. He's going to prison and you might, and we have mercy and compassion upon him, but not at the expense of the victims who suffered. And so a victim impact statement is, is greatly influential in court because it helps the judge gauge the right level of justice that is required and it causes everybody to see the offense in all its fullness as far as is humanly possible. Now, if we spiritualize that, zoom out into the heavenly realms and begin to think of how God sees sin and its consequences, that word that you spoke harshly to the person who served you was a word that broke them, was a word that went home. And as a result of that, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. They went, I'm making this up, but I'm just giving you an account of examples. I don't feel guilty about it. I'm making this up, this kind of example. And who knows, but that that was not the very thing that triggered a massive depression and five years later she's in mental hospital unable to move so doped up because of a depression that has set in. Now I'm, that's an exaggerated story because I don't know such a case but I'm just giving you a kind of example of, of when we actually think about some of the sins that we, we ignore and don't think are very important the way we speak to one another the way we discourage one another and, and you know somebody was writing articles for a magazine and they asked somebody oh that's a stupid article and that's it so they never wrote again all this kind of stuff when we think about how our sins are affecting others our sins of jealousy our sins of pride even even our haughtiness that will refuse to give a word of encouragement to somebody who needs that word of encouragement. You don't know what you have failed to do and the consequences, but there will come a day when we will see the consequences of all our sins and we will have just one plea, God, mercy please, and if the blood of Jesus is on you, then you got it, but if the blood of Jesus is not on you, then you're in trouble. As R.T. would say, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything. So the big question is, how can God be just and the justifier of the ungodly who believe? God is righteous. He must punish sin. God is holy and must maintain his integrity. Finally, God is glorious and he must remove the shame. Shame is the opposite of glory. Adam and Eve felt that shame. And even when Paul or, or Peter, one of the New Testament writers, says to the believers, why are you continuing to do the things that you used to do before you were a believer? What glory did you have in those things of which you are now ashamed? Stop it. 
Adam and Eve were ashamed before God, ashamed before one another. And, and the Bible says, we read it in the verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every sin we commit robs God of his glory and attaches shame to his name. And God says, I'm going to clear my name. And the first vindication is he, by his mercy, is going to pour all the shame of sin upon his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross naked and before and carrying the shame of all humanity so that the glory of God could be restored in our lives. And the second thing that he's going to do, for those who refuse to take the blood and actually apply it to their lives, when the day of judgment comes, there will be no blood upon the lives of the unbelievers, and he will not be able to say, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No, all of those bloodless homes of the Egyptians, their firstborn of cattle or, 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 or family, died under the judgment of God. Don't think God is a mamby-pamby God that you can ignore and mess with. Don't mess with God. This is serious stuff. And to know how serious sin is, all we have to do is look at the cross. So horrific. We hit our faces, as it were. He was so, so beaten that he, he no longer resembled a human being. Mel Gibson's story, which he filmed, and they said it's so bloody. You read the real facts of history. Even Mel Gibson's film does not have enough gore in it to describe what happened on the cross. That's how serious sin is. But the wonderful thing about the cross is it is now the meeting place for men and women who can gather at the foot of the cross and meet Jesus and meet God. And only there, only there, if I said to you, come, let's go and sing some gospel songs in Trafalgar Square at four o'clock this afternoon, before we get ready for the concert tonight. And you say, will you be singing? You say, no, 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 it's okay. Then you say, I'll come. Okay, four o'clock. And so you go to Hyde Park Corner. And somebody says, what are you doing at Hyde Park Corner? Well, I wanted to be here. You're supposed to meet Colin. Yeah, yeah, and I thought I'd meet him here. But he said he's going to, he's going to go to Trafalgar Square. Ah, well, that's his problem. No, it's your problem. So if God says, I will meet you at the foot of the cross, I will meet you there, that one place where Jesus was suspended between earth and heaven, carrying the sins of the world, that one place where the holy precious blood of Jesus was shed, that one commodity in the universe that has the power to wash you and cleanse you from sin. Go anywhere else and you will miss it. Go to any other religion, you will miss it. Even the Christian religion, that deny aspects of it, denies the cross, not worth calling Christian religion, but there are Christians who deny this. Don't, you will never get saved until you come to the foot of the cross. That's the only place where you can be born again. That's the only place where you can have your sins forgiven. And it's because the blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin. That's why Jesus died.